Well, kiddos, this is usually the part of our gathering where I say, we love you, God bless you, now join the little ones in the ark. But I need to ask you a question. Can y'all hang out for just a minute? All right, y'all can come on up with Toby. I need to ask you a question. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. They can sit on this front pew there. Guys, I got to ask you a question. You ready for it? Y'all aren't even ready for it. Are you ready for my question? Are you ready? Charlotte's ready. All right. Here's my question. What is a disciple? Raise your hand if you've heard that word, disciple. It's a church word, isn't it? Evan, have you heard that word? Let me tell you, okay? You've heard the word disciple. Does somebody want to kind of tell me what one is? What do you think? Whoa, did y'all hear that? The disciple is the people who first followed Jesus. Let me ask you though, none of us first followed Jesus because Jesus walked this earth as a man a long time ago, but do you think people today can be disciples? Ooh, good. Let me tell you what we say a disciple is at this church. It's really simple, ready? It's somebody that says, Jesus, you're my Lord, and then it's somebody who, ready? is with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus, okay? I say, Jesus, you're my Lord, be my master, be my teacher. So then, those disciples that followed around Jesus, they were with him, to learn from him, how to live like him, okay? Here's my next question. How did Jesus live anyway? What kind of stuff did Jesus do? What do you think, Nora? You mouthed something, what do you think? What did Jesus walk around doing? What do you think, Lucas? What do you think? Be kind to people. Good. What else? Emma? Help people. Toby just whispered, that's what Nora said. So big sister stole little sister's answer. I guess Nora helped you, and that is something that Jesus did. He helped people. What else? What else does Jesus go walk around doing? What do y'all talk about in the art? What kind of stories? Evan? He gives. Awesome. What else, Brianna? He loves. Good. What else, Emma? He makes miracles. That's right. What do you think, Charlotte? Did he ever say anything to people? Yeah? So did he teach and preach and talk about the kingdom of God? He did. All right. Here's the deal. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Jesus ever just kind of hung out? You don't think so? You don't think that Jesus ever played around? Do you think that Jesus ever, when he went to dinner, kind of just loved laughing and joking? And you think he did? Okay. You think he did? Well, why would they keep inviting Jesus to parties and dinners if he was no fun? Have you ever thought about that? Let me tell you something, because I'm a preacher, and we pretend like we know things. You ready? I'm going to tell you something I know. Jesus didn't just pray a lot. I think Jesus played a lot. I think Jesus was fun to be around, don't you think? And you know what else? I know that Jesus sometimes just hung out. 
when we read some of the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see little snippets where Jesus says, we've had a hard, long day of working. And he told his disciples, why don't y'all come with me for a little while and let's rest and hang out. Don't y'all love to hang out on Saturday mornings? Yeah? Why don't you think Jesus wanted to do that too? He did. And that's what we're going to talk about with these grown-ups. But I know y'all are ready to go pray and play. So thank you for your help. Thank you for our questions. Thank you for giving me an introduction to my sermon that I didn't have without you. Cool? Kids, we love you. God bless you. Y'all can go join the little ones in the ark. Do you think Jesus prayed a lot and played a lot? You do? That's what we're going to talk about in so many words this evening. But here's the deal as those kids exit playing a lot. What if I asked you the same question, okay? What if we went out and asked somebody on the street, what was the kind of things that Jesus did? If we're supposed to live like Jesus and learn from Jesus, what are those kinds of things we should be endeavoring to do? I would bet you that you would get a lot of similar answers and you'd be pretty low on the list before you got to, yeah, he just kind of hung out sometimes. But what's interesting is that Jesus was a Jewish man and it was hardwired into the Jewish faith, learned from the living God himself that every week you set aside one day to chill out, to do no work. Yet, when I ask you what does it look like to live like Jesus, most of our answers are action-oriented. You with me? Take the Gospel of Luke, for example. If you just walked through the Gospel of Luke, you would see a lot of action, especially in the Gospel of Mark. Every one of the stories of Jesus, we see him healing, teaching, kicking out evil and darkness. We see him moving and grooving all throughout the known world then. However, you might see a verse like this at the end of Luke chapter 5, right in the middle actually. The news about Jesus spread all the more, so more and more crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus has a full slate. That's Luke 5, 15, okay? That's the action verse. But what does this next verse, Luke 5, 16, say? But Jesus, what? Often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Oh, that's just some verse out of context. Oh, but then you look at Luke 4. Oh, but then you look in Matthew and Mark where he invites his disciples to do the same. Oh, then you look at the end of Luke 9 when he takes his inner circle up to a mountain. Oh, you see, throughout all the action-oriented life of Jesus, there is this healthy rhythm of work and rest, just hanging out and creating space. And in a culture that's becoming more and more action-oriented, or hang on, you ready? Or maybe it's busy-oriented. Maybe it's hurry-oriented. Maybe you're like me today. Come on, come on, we gotta go, let's go, let's go. Or anxiety-oriented. Worry-oriented. How about this one? Numbing out, binging Netflix, looking on my phone-oriented. In a culture that's becoming more and more 
action-oriented. We need to follow Jesus' healthy rhythm of work and rest. The neighborhood church is three years old, and each of these three years we've been the neighborhood church, we've talked about our five core practices. Because we believe that faith is not just something to be believed, it's something to be lived. And so what it means to be a part and in partnership with the neighborhood church's mission and fellowship is to firstly follow Jesus, the second thing is to love neighbor. The third thing we talked about last week is to grow disciples. And the fourth thing what we're talking about this evening is to create space. Now, what do we mean when we say creating space? It's our version of the rest portion of Jesus' healthy rhythm of work and rest. We say it this way. We commit to make time for God and others for transformational relationships to grow. You need to understand this. Space, your time, isn't just found. Space must be made. If you don't believe me, look through the last week of your life. Oh, I'll get around to that when I find the time. I would bet you, you did not find as much time as you wanted to. And it's not necessarily that we're so busy. I think it's that even when we're chilling out and hanging out, it's an unhealthy kind of disengagement. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to not just rest, but pray to be filled so that he could go out and do kingdom work again. But I need to let you know that we don't just find this time, we make the time. And this time is made in our community for God and for others. Look, there's a vertical dimension between us and the living God, and then there's a horizontal dimension between us and God's people, each other. What's the common thread between these vertical and horizontal relationships? How do any of the relationships in your life grow? I would bet you it's always about time and attention, okay? Your bestie, your spouse, your fill-in-the-blank, the degree to which that relationship is life-giving and transformative is probably because you've logged a lot of time. And I think another key ingredient, especially in 2020, is attention. When we talk about the vertical relationship with God, I love what Eugene Peterson says about prayer. He says, prayer is a soul at full attention before God. Don't you love that? Sometimes it's beyond words. Prayer, to be in God's presence, to commune with him, is a soul at full attention before God. But what about the horizontal dimension? I've heard someone say that attention is the rarest and purest form of flattery. Maybe because we're Christians, we can say, attention is the rarest and purest form of love. This week, I was spending a lot of time at The Rock in the kids program, and we basically just show up and create space for a lot of controlled, wonderful chaos with a bunch of kids that come to a safe space to get a meal and to get some time with good people, volunteers, and their friends and neighbors. And let me tell you, 
most, every single one of those kids wants to run in and have an adult look them in the eye so that they can tell them how well they did on their math test. That's all they're looking for. Yeah, we do Bible studies. Yeah, they get food. But what they want, what they crave, you see it in their face, is for someone. And I'm not saying their parents don't do this or their guardians don't do this. I'm saying what they want in that space, at that place, is someone to look them in the eye and let them know that they are loved and cared for. So that when we tell them that message, we're able to embody it in a way that makes it real when we say, guess who loves you just like this and even more? Guess who has all of your attention? A loving father longing to be gracious to you. Attention is the rarest and purest form of love, I think, especially in this action-oriented culture. And would we be a people that makes time for God and for others, for these transformational relationships to grow, whether vertically or horizontally. So we've looked at Jesus' example of creating space a lot, okay? Last year, we had a Create Space men's retreat. We had a Create Space women's retreat. This year, we're looking to do two Create Space days on some Sundays where we just get together, we kind of talk about where we're at in our lives, and we say, see you in a couple hours, go be with Jesus, then let's come back and eat together and talk about what we've experienced. We were going to open up time, make time to create space. We've done Bible studies on spiritual disciplines, we've looked at Jesus's rhythm in sermons, and I'm telling you that actually we're going to look at an example that's not necessarily about Jesus. He's there, and he has something to say to us, but ultimately I wanted to look at two of his close friends and the permission that Jesus gives to create space, even in our hustle and bustle when we don't allow ourselves to create that space. I want to look at two of Jesus' close friends. Their name are Mary and Martha. When I say Mary and Martha, is there a story if you grew up in Sunday school that comes to mind? I want to look there. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's a brief little story that has become very famous, and we're going to talk about in just a moment why it's famous. But I need you to know before we get into this, real quick, because we've talked so much about creating space, tonight's going to be less of a how-to, Okay? We got the rest of the year, Lord willing, as much as he gives us, to go and work it out together. And if you just need a how-to, well, here's some Bible reading things in the Gospels and in the Psalms. You could take that and create some space. We might talk about a few things at the end of the message tonight, but I need you to know it's less of a how-to and more of an invitation and permission. And I want us to listen carefully to the Spirit of God speaking to us in the ways that we might be able to create some space for God and others in our lives this week. So by now, I hope you're with me in Luke chapter 10. And I want to read the end of that chapter, verses 38 to 42. Tonight is from the New Revised Standard Version. We don't always do that, but tonight that's where we are. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. Verse 40. 
But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, and this would have been a shock to Martha because she was expecting him to say, you got that right, girl. Mary, get in there and wash some dishes. <laughs> Miguel, it happened, dude. He said, oh, no, over here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part or portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Here's the big idea I need you to hear tonight. Creating space reorients the many things around the one thing. We cannot ignore the many things, okay? Y'all need to understand that you can't just sit at the feet of Jesus all the time and not feed your children, <laughs> okay? We cannot ignore the many things, but they must not become the ultimate thing that prevents us from loving God and our neighbor. The many things must not become the one thing, the ultimate thing that prevents us from the needful thing, the necessary thing in this moment. That's the central part, I believe, of this story. But mostly, this story gets told with this false dichotomy between service on the one hand, which is the Martha figure, and then spirituality on the other hand, which is the Mary figure. It's so easy when we read the Bible to say, okay, be like this person, don't be like that person. I remember Amy talking to me about this years ago. She says, you know, Martha always gets a bad rap. But at the end of the day, what does Jesus expect? There's only so many leftovers. There is time to do what needs doing. And then Mary over here, she is doing the good thing. Jesus does commend her for that. But you need to understand, it's a false dichotomy to say, you know what? Jesus is saying, don't ever serve. And I'm never doing dishes again. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. No, 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 no. It's a false dichotomy. And here's why you need to know this. Jesus worked and served. He served all. And he also withdrew to lonely places to pray. This is a healthy rhythm of work and rest. By the way, if you have an open Bible, what is the story just before we meet Mary and Martha? Toby preached on it a couple weeks ago. The Good Samaritan. What's the last line of that parable and encounter that Jesus has after he tells it. What? Go and what? Do likewise. The dumbest thing we could do is say, we did Mary and Martha today. Don't be like Martha. She is always getting it wrong. Be like Mary. Jesus says, go and do likewise. But there's something about that moment where there is this essential thing, this one thing, to be at the feet of Jesus, to hear from Jesus, how to learn from Jesus before she will go out and live like Jesus. This is what we're after. By the way, Martha, we meet again in John chapter 11, who probably was so busy 
keeping the fever off of her brother Lazarus. Probably after Lazarus died, she probably wrapped her brother with the grave cloths and prepared his body. It needed to be buried that night. She was probably the one getting things done. She was probably the one that reached out to Jesus in the first place and said, heal him. She was also the one that when she saw Jesus face to face, she confessed that he is the Messiah. And I know that resurrection is to come. Don't tell me that Martha is just the server and she doesn't know good and well who Jesus is and has not sat at his feet sometime in her life too. Now that we've got that out of the way, here's one half of Martha's problem. (laughs) You ready? (laughs) Because this is the thing. At that one time, she missed the one thing. Here's the first half of her problem. Did you read that she was worried and distracted? Show of hands if you've been worried and distracted this week. Amen? Oh my gosh, I was worried and distracted all day until I got to come up here and grab this mic. Aren't we worried and distracted by, quote, many things? Our schedules, our obligations, our activities, our kids' obligations, our kids' activities, our finances, our work, and on and on. But here's the trick. Sometimes we can look like this. This is from a video that we show to those who are about to be baptized. And it says, This is what a me-centered look, excuse me, this is what a me-centered life looks like. We have our friends, we have our work, we have our finances, our school, our family, and sometimes we bring Jesus into the mix. And what's happening in the video is they're all orbiting around me. And here's what happens when those many things begin to orient and orbit all around us. You might begin that it's all up to you or about you. And if you don't keep these things spinning, who will? And the problem happens when you lose that friend, you lose that job, you're out of school, you begin to spiral out because you've lost the one thing and the relationship that should ground you and keep you rooted, and that is a beloved child of God who is following Jesus to be with him, to learn from him, how to live like him, even when all this falls apart. So to say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord, is to kick your own sorry self off of the throne. You're great, don't get me wrong, but you kind of suck at holding everything together. And then saying, Jesus, you be Lord of my life. And all of a sudden, do you see what happened in that picture? They're beautiful colors now. Guess what? The day after you say yes to Jesus, you're probably going back to the same job with the same bank account, with the same friends, the same family. But here's the trick. Creating space, getting off of that throne and getting yourself some perspective to be with Jesus is a matter of recognizing then, oh yeah, I can trust you with these little things. Here's the problem. We think that we say, Jesus, I trust you. Here's my whole life. And we make the declaration. We go through the waters of baptism and then neglect to let that trust extend to every little area that is involved with your trust. 
To say yes in the big trust is to align all the little trusts in the orbit and orientation of Jesus. Bud's going to talk about the budget in a moment, Lord willing, and he's going to talk about how there's this principle in the Old Testament of the tithe with just 10%. I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit for a minute, but this is an illustration because it's on the screen with a green dollar sign. And we talk about how so many of us, where we look at the 10% and we say, whoa, let me give you some bad news. We're under the new covenant, and in the New Testament, they say, give sacrificially and generously. So you're struggling with 10, try doing 10 plus and be happy about it, okay? Let me tell you this, to begin to trust him in 1% may be the invitation to you if it was zero last week. To begin to trust him in two and three and four and to see that every time you take that step out, he gives you what you need when you need it and he begins to form you and trust and exercising that trust muscle. Nobody goes out and runs a marathon day one. You do couch to 5K and you run like 60 feet like me and say, this app stinks, I'm not gonna do it again. I didn't learn how to trust. This is the invitation and what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus reminds Martha, there is need of only one thing. When Jesus is the one thing, the better thing, all the many things, however good, take their proper place in line behind him. Jesus, fix my marriage, but I will not trust you today in this relationship, in this moment, in this conversation. Go fix it, but I won't give it to you today in this small way. I'm letting the many things crowd out and prevent the one thing and allowing the one thing to fill in how I relate and react to all the things. How many dinners did Jesus and his disciples have at Martha's house where they had a wonderful meal and Martha cooked it all and she did so gladly because she knew she was doing it for Jesus. But today, that day, she was distracted and worried by many things. This is why every day, as part of my prayer, I try to pray Psalm 8611 every single day in the morning. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. Because 99% of the time, I want to go back to the center and throw all my obligations up in the air as if I'm the one that's supposed to keep the thing moving. And my heart gets so distracted, divided, and I say, wait, Jesus, let me put you back in the center and give me that undivided heart again so that I may be a cohesive, whole person that seeks you and find all these things are added and squared away And even if they're not, it's not going to keep me from walking toward you. We can trust when we create space. Now let's talk about the second half of Martha's problem. (laughs) You ready? Poor Martha. It was just one moment. Here's the deal. There's a story that Amy and I tell every time we sit with a couple in premarital coaching. It's about conflict. 
If you sit down with Amy and I for premarital coaching, we'll say a conflict is anything that requires a resolution. Some people say, we fight, we fight, we fight. We say, no, 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 sometimes it's not fights. It's a conflict. Amy and I had a pretty big conflict one day about a dishwasher. You know what's awesome? That's a dishwasher. You see it? You know what's awesome about this? It happened one hour before a couple was coming for premarital coaching. Isn't that how it goes? We are literally over the dishwasher talking about what we're going to talk about. You'll do this, I'll do this. Don't forget to ask this. Don't forget to ask this. So Amy is going from the sink and putting stuff in the dishwasher. And I'm doing what I do, which is talk a lot. And I'm sitting there on this side of the dishwasher saying, yeah, yeah. And then we do this. And I'm not even noticing that my hands are doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amy sets this down and I go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, silverware goes up, not down like that. Okay. And also we can get more cups if you just put it in this line instead of this. Yeah, but then let's ask him about this and this chapter and this. And finally, Amy, in some... Yep. Yep. I need to create a moment of space here with all the love and grace that she can muster. She goes, do you want to just do it? And I didn't even realize what's happening. The conflict ensues. Well, because a conflict is anything that requires a resolution, we resolve it because we're about to talk to people how to be married. So they come into our door, and we're able at this point to laugh at it because it's ironic. And here's the best part. As we're talking through this, um, we're saying, you know, how does this look? Have you ever had any conflicts? Have you ever had any fights? And they go, oh, we've never had a conflict. We've never had a fight, actually. Uh, you know, I think if I were at the dishwasher, I would say, you know, at the end of the day, um, I would say, what's more important? The way that this cup is loaded or my love for my partner? And then Amy goes, with all the grace and mercy she could muster, I will never forget this. This was years ago. I will never forget this. She goes, sometimes a dishwasher ain't just about a dishwasher. Sometimes it ain't just about a dishwasher. It's about your life. And it's about how he always does this. It's about how he has OCD and he has to do it this way. And that's why now he's the only one that does it in our house. Martha is looking to Jesus And saying, hey, sometimes it ain't just about the dishwasher. This is the other half of Martha's problem. It's less about what Mary did not do and more about a bold choice that Mary did do. Exhibit A, where is Martha physically sitting? Luke tells us where. At the feet of Jesus. We can deduce from the Gospels, this is Martha's home. But in the ancient Near East, you need to understand this, and it's still happening in the Middle East today. Public areas, like the living room and the dining room, or the store and the restaurants and all those, those are men's space. Private areas, like the bedroom and the kitchen, are female space. Where might we assume Martha is? She's not in the kitchen She wouldn't dare scandalize Jesus with his disciples present in the bedroom. She must be in male space in the public room. Okay? Exhibit B. Where is Mary metaphorically sitting? Now, 
to sit at the feet of blank did not just mean I put the pillow down and this looks like a good place that I need to sit. I'm going to sit here. To sit at the Lord's feet is an idiom to mean you are being a student of. When the kids were here, we said, what's a disciple? Someone who is with Jesus to what? Learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. Is Mary for real thinking she can be taught by Jesus to be a student of Jesus in order that she might go and live like Jesus? But Jesus is preaching and proclaiming and healing and praying. Well, Luke must not mean that. Oh, except in Luke chapter 8, there's many women following him. There's many women funding him. Oh, okay. Sometimes a fight about a dishwasher is more than just a dishwasher. Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. What Martha means is, Jesus, please reinforce my evaluation of my sister's choices. And please reinforce my boundary of who should and should not be a disciple. Here's the problem when you ask Jesus to reinforce any boundary. Why don't you reverse and see the Good Samaritan story as another exhibit? Whenever you ask Jesus to reinforce any boundary, know this. Jesus rarely does. Oh, you say not to touch this leper, this one here? I'm touching him, and the kingdom of God is upon him. You say that Samaritans can't be decent human beings in my story? I say, go and be like him. You say that you can't love and accept these people? Who is my neighbor? Let me rezone the neighborhood, and now all of the people that you thought were out, I've extended that boundary, and now all of a sudden, look. Even your enemies, even your persecutors are those to be loved and treated with the same respect you would treat yourself. Here's why Martha was really upset. Not just because she was distracted. Not just because it was where she was sitting. Because Jesus created space for someone that no one else had room for. I need you to hear that before Mary chose to sit with Jesus, Jesus chose to make room for her. This is gospel. Because while we were yet enemies, while we were dead, while we thought God had no more room for us, all of a sudden, on the outstretched arms of the cross, we see that we might now come within the reach of God's saving embrace because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Jesus created space for Mary when no one else had room for her because Jesus created space for the world when no one else thought God had any more room and he calls them forgiven and child. Tell me again that Jesus doesn't know what he's doing here and doesn't know what he's doing from the cross when he forgives his murderers. Jesus routinely creates space for someone no one had room for. It's the people that thought they earned their ticket he had a problem with. How can we even imagine or dare to be as hospitable as Jesus? John will say 
that anyone who says we love God and hates their brother or sister, even sees a need and doesn't move to act, they need to really wonder if they understand the love of God. So a way that we say it sometimes in this church is the love of God is working in you if love of neighbor is flowing out of you. To create space is to be with Jesus, to get away, to make that time, to get some clarity, to reorient your own assumptions, your own little trust issues, and to get away enough to let God do what you cannot do, and that's transform you from the inside out. The thing that you do is make the time. The thing that God does is says, finally, I've been longing to be gracious, but they keep running at 60 miles an hour. Man, I can't give them what they need if they're buzzing past me every single day. So we do what we can to let God do what we can't. I cannot love my enemies the way that God wants me to unless I allow myself to be acted upon by the one who forgave his murderers. The love of God is working in you if love of neighbor is flowing out of you. Just to tie off this part of the message before we close. I read this wonderful little book called Looking for Jesus, and it's by a woman named Virginia Stem Owens, and she takes well-known gospel stories and retells them and reflects upon them in a way that you might just read a short story. She has this story amongst that volume, Looking for Jesus. And she says this, I suspect that women liked Jesus primarily for one reason. And I added this emphasis. He paid attention to them. He struck up conversations with them, woman at the well, listened to their problems, even paid them the supreme compliment of believing they were teachable. An assumption rare in those days, even among the most liberal Pharisees. In fact, though Jews had an obligation to teach Torah to their male children, their daughters routinely went uneducated. I want you to hear this. Jesus paid attention to Mary, so Mary paid attention to Jesus. Who are you paying attention to? Perhaps they might pay attention to Jesus. I think attention to Jesus must always precede action for Jesus. Can I say that again? Attention to Jesus must precede action for Jesus. These wonderful things at the beginning of this talk our children were saying, to be kind, to love, to heal, to preach, to help. We would be wrong-headed if we think we can just go out there and do it without looking to the example at the center of our life, without creating space to be with, to learn from how to live like. How can we expect to live like Jesus if we are never with Jesus to learn from Jesus? How can we expect to grow in relationships with others without spending time together. Can I be a pastor for a minute of these people that I know and love dearly? The thing about relationships with anyone and even in the church is that it's a two-way street. And there's less so now, almost not, not very often now, it's been a long time. There's a season in the life of this church where I was talking with someone a lot 
who were dear and wonderful people and are dear and wonderful people, and they feel isolated and, and separated, and they say, you know what, um, I'm just not connected to the church. And it's so hard because I want to say, man, but what does your side of the fence look like? Now, hear me carefully. Some people have tried and tried and tried, and they've not been reciprocated. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a one-way street that meets a dead end versus a one-way street, a one-way street, a one-way street, and the person feeling isolated has not yet reciprocated. How can we expect to grow in relationships to be transformed as iron sharpens iron with others without spending time together with those you're in relationship with and in partnership with for God's mission in our neighborhood? This cuts both ways with me too. I need to constantly be thinking, where's my end of the street? Okay, last reflection question. How can we expect to love like Jesus if we never create space to experience his loving presence. Mary had good things that she could have been doing with her sister Martha, but she chose the best thing at that moment. Mary has chosen the better portion, the better part, which will not be taken away from her, says Jesus. Creating space reorients the many things, the tyranny of this moment and the everyday, and puts it in the context around the one thing. I know we're late, but I want to close with this. Because we're doing some create space moments this year, and because I hope that the Spirit of God is leaning on you a little bit to say, how are you going to make some time for me this week? How are you going to make some time for others this month? Because we're doing that, I need to tell you something. One of the ways that the pastors of this church have always created space is called the EPC, which sounds weird, and let me tell you what it stands for, and you're going to think it's even weirder. Ready? Extended Personal Communion which is a fancy way of saying, eh, just creating three to six hours of space to rest, pray, and sit with God, and maybe sometimes nap, just to have a healthy disengagement. I'd estimate that I've probably taken 50 EPCs because you, church, are so gracious to allow me the opportunity to make this my full-time ministry. I inherited this practice from Mark Moore and Drew Phillips and Bud Riddell, and they didn't just tell me, they expected me to do it because this is pastoral work, amen, to pray and be with Jesus. So I'd probably taken 50 of these with different kinds of people. One of the 50 changed my life, and I mean that with no hyperbole. Two to five of them were really good and gifts from the Lord that really helped me, okay? If you're doing the math at home, that's like 10 to 5% of the 50 that were game changers, ready? So about 45 were pretty good, mostly okay, mostly about showing up and trying to pay attention and God meeting me where I'm at with what I need, maybe not for the rest of my life, but for that moment. And it was building that way in which I'm regularly trying to withdraw like Jesus 
to remember that I'm not in charge. That it's not all up to me. That there's someone that I can sit with that is already the author, the perfecter, the savior, the Lord, the anointed king, so I don't have to be. So I'm gonna close with about 60 to 120 seconds of sitting with Jesus. Because I'm not gonna talk about it for 45 minutes and not give at least 45 seconds to sit with Jesus. Just take a breath. Become present to the one who is present to you. Become attentive to the one who's attentive to you. Pay attention and try less about talking to Jesus. Think more about being with him because in his presence is life and light and salvation. He is with you, near to you. Take a breath. Sit with him. Lord Jesus, thank you for creating space for us. May we go and create space to be with you. Amen. May you create space in the midst of your demands and distractions in order to sit at the feet of Jesus as well as the tables of your brothers, sisters, and neighbors. May you know God not as dispassionate object a thing to be mastered and controlled, but as loving Father, incarnate Son, indwelling Spirit, three persons, one God. And may your heart be opened, not only to heaven, but to every person you meet. Each encounter a revelation, new wisdom, new mystery, new mercy. Go in peace.